a number of people have requested putting the instructions for the shamatha practice, which is what we've been doing for all these days, and vipassana, which is what we'll be going over in a moment, together in one talk. So, very, very briefly, we'll do that. practice of the full awareness of breathing is designed to develop, help us develop both shamatha and vipassana. It's a a framework that includes both. In the first, we take, in this case, one simple, single object, the breathing. We single it out and distinguish it from everything else that's happening to us. Give it a priority, feature it. And so we establish our attention with the breathing, wherever you find that best to do. What we're learning to do here is to stay with one object. Every time our attention slips off the breath, we find ourselves elsewhere. As you know, we just come back, and the coming back is without blame without judgment, it's just coming back. We ease back. It's done gracefully, not as if we've made a mistake and have to correct it and pull our attention back. A large part of the practice here is the coming back. And so we have to learn how to do it mindfully and without judgment. And so, time and time again, we return to the breathing, we slip off and we come back. We allow the breath to flow naturally. We learn how to stop imposing any patterns on the breathing ideal ways of breathing or patterns of control that we didn't even know we had. Little by little we see through them. And we learn the art of allowing. We allow the breath to happen rather than make it happen. (coughs) 
the attitude is one of sitting in a erect and comfortable, as comfortable as possible position, and being there to receive the breath. Let it come to you. And if you recall, sometimes there's a preoccupation that is so repetitive and strong that, in fact, we're hardly with the breath. And so it was suggested that when this happens, to open the field of attention a bit, to include that preoccupation. As you breathe in and as you breathe out, you acknowledge it. You observe it for a period of time. It can just be a few moments. But finally, over and over again, the breath is really an exclusive object. That's what we come back to. While we're breathing in and breathing out, we can hear other things going on. Sounds in the room, thoughts through our mind. We're not for them or against them. We're not trying to listen to them, nor are we trying not to listen to them. So we learn to peacefully coexist with whatever is there. We're just permitted to happen naturally. But what's in the foreground is the breathing. And the main skill is to not lose touch with the breathing so that the flow of awareness becomes as continuous as possible. And we begin to see the breath settle down, become more calm, more subtle, more refined, more even. And as it does, it seems to bring the body and the mind along with it. Perhaps we taste some peace, some joy. More and more we learn to value this simple activity. Perhaps we underestimate it or don't trust it in the beginning. It's so simple-minded. Productions of the mind are far more colorful, engaging. But little by little we see there's immense value in just settling into the moment, in the body, breathing. At a certain point, perhaps we feel that, well, my mind has settled down. I feel relatively stable. And then perhaps we open the field of attention. And that's what I'd like to suggest we begin to do this morning. 
whereas in the first instance the breath is an exclusive object, now its place in our field of awareness is rather different. We're still with the breathing, but we loosen our grip on it a bit. We're in touch with the breathing, but it's a rather different attitude now. The breath serves us now as a, a gateway, a highway, a vehicle. into our experience, whatever that experience is. And so we sit and breathe. The skill of allowing, surrendering to the breath that we learned in shamatha practice carries over here. We continue to learn how to do that with the breathing but we expand the field to which we apply that allowing approach, attitude, to include everything. So the kind of attention we're developing is all-inclusive attention, comprehensive. We're not setting any limits. We're learning how to have a very large living room and be able to welcome whatever wants to come in and visit us. The breathing helps us stay in the position of the host. The host is awareness, mindfulness, attention. The guess, everything else. Sensations in the body, which by now we're probably much more familiar with. The feelings that we talked about last night, which come and go. The body feeling a certain way, and even the mind has feelings. Certain thoughts are pleasant, certain thoughts are unpleasant. Sounds, of course, come in. Images pass through. Moods arise and pass away. Likes and dislikes. Whatever. Our field now is the content of consciousness. And so, with the help of the breath, as a gentle but strong friend, we sit and breathe right in the midst of our experience. We're sitting right in the middle of ourselves. And in a certain way, you could say this training is learning the art of just being yourself. In this approach, sometimes called choiceless awareness, 
there's no agenda. Just a very small one of the breath, but that's always with us anyway. Nothing in particular is supposed to happen. We're not supposed to feel anything in particular, become someone in particular, get somewhere, know this, be that, etc. So we sit and breathe, and whatever turns up, that's what we contemplate. Why? Simply because it's there. It's so simple. We can relax. That's our life in that given moment. Right here, right now, I'm sitting and breathing. Perhaps nothing is happening. So you're listening to nothing, which of course may be silence. Then you hear the sound of a throat being cleared. The body feels a certain way. Sometimes we like the way it feels. Sometimes we don't. Same with the mind. The practice is being mindful of it in any case. One of the meanings of choiceless is that we have no agenda. The agenda kind of presents itself arises, visits us, and life itself gives us a field of contemplation. And it's also choiceless in that we're not for or against anything. We're even-minded. We're learning how to open, how to see where we're not open. More and more, learning how to be with experiences that perhaps we've spent a lifetime avoiding or meeting in an oblique and indirect way, always explaining it, analyzing it. Coping with it, postponing, theorizing, suppressing, getting lost in it. What is being asked of us now is something quite different. Can we simply attend to it? Can we be present? And the four foundations of mindfulness that we talked about last evening are all here. This is sometimes called the condensed method of Anapanasati, essentially two steps. One, using the breath to develop some calm and stability. And then two, investigating. With the mind now more fit and able to look and to listen and to learn, we now examine 
our whole being, whatever is there. foundation of the body, feelings, mind states. And then if you recall, the fourth foundation, as we're using it in this sutra, has to do with discernment. And this is pure vipassana. Everything that, that arises passes away. And you can learn that fundamental lesson on the breath itself, on any bodily condition. Even a solid pain, when you look carefully, you'll see it's quite alive and in movement. No feeling stays forever. The feelings Pleasant feelings come and go, so do the neutral and unpleasant ones. And we see that. The same with the mental formations. The Take the kilesas that we discussed last night. Greedy states of mind, states of mind that want something, they come and go. So do the aversive states come and go. And the clarity or confusion of the mind is not a permanent state. And so more and more as we sit and breathe, we're sitting in a a moving field of energy, independent of the content, the story, the significance. It all has the taste of impermanence. The Buddha used the example of the ocean. It's wherever you take a sip, wherever you dip in, it's always salty. And so we see this law at work and as we become more familiar with it, it's a short step to seeing that there's no solid me that's there as well, but rather different notions coming and going. The challenge for our practice now is how to coordinate these two modes. When do I do Shamatha, when do I do Vipassana? It's an art. Each of us has to learn how to use our right and left hand skillfully together. Finally, it's pragmatic. We have practical considerations that help us decide. Let's say you feel that you have calmed down and there's some steadiness, a bit of peace. Then release your grip on the breathing so that you're open. There's a more panoramic, global sense of sitting and breathing. And if you're able to be with this moving field, bodily sensations, 
the mind. Then sit and breathe and enjoy the passing show. If you find that you're going out of focus, starting to psychologize, analyze, think, get confused, get lost, identify with things, you can look at that itself if you're, if you're able to. Very often what's best is just to go back to the breathing. Fine-tune your attention once again. And there are no absolute rules here. Sometimes you may go back to the breathing in an exclusive way and three or four breaths and you're settled down again and then you open the field once again. Other times just complete the sitting. Using the breath to concentrate yourself. The relative apportionment of time and involvement with either the shamatha or the vipassana practice will vary from individual to individual and from even from sitting to sitting. Some of you who are very new to the practice may wish to spend a lot of time on the samadhi or shamatha practice. That's fine. It would not be a waste of time. It wouldn't be a waste of time for some of you even experienced yogis. It's not a baby practice. Calming and strengthening the mind, which is what shamatha does, is of tremendous value because it enables genuine insight to emerge. It allows the seeing to be more clear. We're not only learning to bring the breath into focus, we're learning to bring our life into focus. And the art of what practice you're doing, will you'll learn that over time. Let me give you other examples so that you see it's quite artful, flexible. You have to learn this art. I can give you a few guidelines, but finally it's up to you. In some of the interviews, some people have a strong emotions that are coming up on the retreat, grieving for a lost or an ended relationship. One person's father died while the retreat is on. She's gone. If you recall, the, the strong samadhi is like having a... It's like when powerful emotions like loss or fear or loneliness come up. It's like the storm, a storm, powerful storm. And as the mind becomes more settled and concentrated, it's in a position where it can engage those emotions fruitfully. entering into intimate contact with them, allowing them to fully reveal themselves, to run their course, 
they finally liberate themselves if you allow them to. Which is not to say that this is how you have to spend the whole retreat. Sometimes you're doing that. You're examining grieving or fear or anger or whatever. And finally it feels you've had enough. You can then use the very same samadhi practice by coming back to the breathing, refreshing the mind. When you get good at it, you can drop into silence rather easily. And this rejuvenates, refreshes the mind, makes it joyful and happy. And then once again, you can open the field of attention, and if there's still a a powerful force that's in the mind, you're in a much better position to examine it, to watch it arise and pass away, to, to not identify with it, but rather to observe it and learn from it. So shamatha, vipassana is an art that we're all learning. These two modes of practice are not sealed off in watertight compartments from each other. While you're doing shamatha, you still learn. Sometimes insights come, even deep ones. So that although officially you're emphasizing sticking to an object, insights come anyway. And when we're doing vipassana, first of all, you need a concentrated mind. But then as we see into and through something and let it go, as it breaks apart and leaves, there's more peace, there's more calm. So the wisdom brings calm and more concentration and more calm and concentration is the foundation out of which which true wisdom can grow. And as you see there, it's a circle. They feed and move into each other. At a certain point, you might say they disappear into each other and there's just serene reflection, a mind that's collected, serene, and examining itself. One final issue that I'd like to say a few words about is something that comes up as a question often. When I open the field of attention, so that it's more comprehensive, where do I follow the breath? If I was at the nose, do I stay there? Or the tummy, do I stay there? You talked about awareness of the whole body and breathing and 
how that could become very stable. What I would suggest is that there is no, I found, there's no one way to do it. It might be easier if I just said, do this. To begin with, most of us are better off with a specific point of attention, whether it's the nose, the abdomen, the chest is not so important. Little by little, as you sit and investigate the body as you breathe, and all the mind states, it starts to become more like a unified field of attention. At first, it may feel as if the breathing is in the background or alongside of what you're doing. For some people, it even becomes problematic. feels like they're trying to do two things at the same time. But with practice, that falls away. And in the comprehensive mode, when we're sitting and breathing, if something comes up, our full attention is with that something. It's just that the breath is always there. As Anapanasati develops, if you practice it a lot, you may find, as many people do, that it's not as necessary or not necessary at all to have a particular place to locate the breathing. But rather you just sit, experience the body, the posture, the breathing, and the breath becomes so vivid that you're in touch with it, so there's no need to have a fixed place of observation. There are other people who are very drawn to just observing the breath in a non-specific way right from the beginning. And if you are, fine. It's also helpful to know how to be with the breath in a more pinpointed way. Both are useful skills. The main thing is to not make it into a problem. We're learning how to be aware of our own experience and conscious breathing can help us do that. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.